When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Starbucks pistachio latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Kyle. And I'm Matthew. Welcome to Audio Judo, your podcast of music discovery. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, your premier source of music podcasts. Uh, if you're looking for something different, might I recommend Art of Rock with Kosh and Friends. Uh, like we sometimes do on this show, we have content that is music adjacent. Uh, one of our most popular episodes is an interview we did with legendary album artist Aubrey Powell. Mm -hmm. And that's what the art of rock is, music adjacent. Uh, they focus on conversations with fantastic artists, photographers, and designers in the rock world. And it's an excellent program. Uh, if you would like to hear more from us than these regular episodes, uh, there's more of us at our Patreon account. Kyle, can you tell yeah. them about uh, what we offer. Them. Yeah, if you go to patreon.com forward slash audio judo, all one word, uh, we actually have two tiers. Um, the first tier, uh, we call the front row seats tier. It's five bucks a month. Uh, but for that price, you get two-day early access to all of our episodes most of the time. Uh, shout out on our future episodes as a loyal producer. Bonus mini episodes called Judo Chops that come out in the in-between weeks of our regular episodes, and you'll get some occasional bonus content, uh, such as unedited interviews, behind-the-scenes videos, and tiny little tidbits that got cut out of episodes, mostly because I was too drunk. If you want to support us a little bit more than that, <laughs> and get yourself a little something in return, 
You can bump up to the backstage past here. It's $20 a month, but it includes a very special personalized gift from both Matthew and myself, uh, a chance to co-host an audio judo episode after you've been at that tier for one year as well. Uh, you can only activate that once. And like I said, it does take a year of being signed up for it before you can activate it. Uh, it also includes all the benefits from the front row seat tier. Uh yeah, it's it's a uh, fun. We we have a lot of fun with the little judo chops. The we've done one backstage pass episode now. That was the Americano episode. Yeah, there's a couple on the way though. Yeah, yeah, uh, they're they're fun though. We enjoy doing them and we enjoy uh, having that kind of contact with our uh, listeners. So so please check it out. Yeah, I failed to mention if you're interested in that art of rock with Caution Friends podcast, go to pantheonpodcasts.com. I neglected to say that. That's ah, my okay. fault. But today you are in for a very special treat. A couple days ago, Kyle and I had the distinct pleasure of having a conversation with an up-and-coming young artist named yeah. Maya Wynn. Uh, if that name sounds familiar to some of you out there, it's probably because you are Rush fans. Uh, Maya is the lead singer and co-songwriter for the new band Envy of None, whose guitarist is Alex Lifeson. Besides that, she has a burgeoning solo career and is an actress and a multi-instrumentalist, and maybe one of the most articulate people I've ever had the honor to talk to. But definitely possible. Before we get to that conversation, I would like to uh, play a little bit of our music so you get a taste of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, this is from a piece called Lift. I Awesome. Right? She's great. Yes. And we know she is in high demand right now, mm -hmm. and rightly so. So we wanted to give her a bigger platform than just a print interview or ones that have pre-planned questions that focus on another particular member of the band. <laughs> um, this is about her. So be prepared to be wowed here. Um, here's our discussion with Maya Wynn. So I want to welcome into the program, Maya Wynn. Thanks for joining us, Maya. Thanks for having me. Uh, your manager told me that you are currently up in Montana. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm in Montana. I'm in a very tiny town. I think the population is liter literally 30 people. So it's <laughs> very small. There's one road, uh, no stoplights. It's just a, there's one hotel and that's where we're staying. <laughs> oh, wow. Is it, is it still wintry? up there oh yeah very very much so we actually were driving through a winter storm last night it was almost a complete whiteout and um there's snow everywhere and uh we're filming that we're here because I, i'm filming a, a a movie uh it's a snowboarding film so they need the they need the snow <laughs> oh yeah well, that, that makes sense that makes sense I was just about to ask you, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you are filming or are you under a, a non-disclosure agreement to uh talk about it yeah, I think I can talk about it a little bit. It's a there's there's a snowboarding dog in the film, which is pretty exciting. Um, 
And I'm like a cool snowboarding girl. And my stunt double was here uh, the other day, like making me look amazing. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you actually snowboard? I do, but I'm definitely not anywhere near <laughs> the level that my character is. So no, no backflips, no, no, no but 1080s, my, yeah, no that. <laughs> my character's doing backflips though. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> you, uh, you just kind of wrapped up filming uh feral as well pretty recently right yeah yeah so i worked on that film a few years ago and and um that was actually one of the first films that i got to work on and and uh i it was really fun because i got to make the music for it as well it's not out yet but um it's like a teen horror musical uh so lots of spooky fun music for that <laughs> I'm super excited to see that too, because it, it sounds, the premise for it sounds really interesting. And I'm also very interested to see what, because um, the directors and writers, uh, Heidi DuBose and uh, Troy William Dunn are both primarily uh, coming from like uh, like film music and engineering backgrounds. I'm really curious to see what they, they did with it. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you had a good time and got to work on the music for it as well. Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing and, and just amazingly creative people. I get to I get to work with them all the time on different projects. Um, and uh, yeah, Troy does a lot of music. He's actually my co-producer on a lot of a lot of songs. And then and Heidi is a an amazing writer and she's been doing a lot of uh, a lot of writing for uh, film and, and she's got a television pilot that's really amazing. So I'm excited to see where she goes. Very cool. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your musical start. Uh, were you always involved in music? Let's go back to early childhood or a late bloomer? Yeah, I think, I think I always sort of had a a spark with music, especially when I was little. I think some of my earliest memories are playing the piano and finding notes that sounded good together and memorizing those two notes and then waking up the next day, super excited to go and play those two notes and find another note that sounded good with that note. And uh, I think it just was always really magical. The concept of, creating something um, and creating sound and harmonies. And it was just something I always had a, a huge passion for. And, you know, my, I was never that kid that didn't want to go do piano lessons because I did piano lessons for a few years and I loved them. And I loved playing and performing and, and writing. At seven years old, I was composing my first pieces on the piano. My piano teacher encouraged me and you know, I wrote out the notation and <laughs> performed it at the recital. And I think I just always loved the whole process of it and just creating. So it, it was from the beginning for me. So you uh, you said, you know, learning two notes and then building on those two notes. But you've gone from that to multiple multiple instruments. How many instruments would you say that you're playing now? I usually say around 15. It depends on like if do you count if you count hybrid instruments and instruments that are really easy to play it might be around 20 but <laughs> holy smokes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but that's if you're cheating oh, uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh coming from that background was there a point where you sort of knew that you went from like I enjoy doing this I I love making music to being like, hey, I want to do this as a career. Do, do you remember what point that happened at? Yeah, I was actually, I was, I was 16. And it was my junior year of high school. And, and I sort of, I made a move. I moved from Spokane to Montana. And 
I switched high schools and I was already kind of the weird girl. So I didn't really care anymore, anymore about being the weird <laughs> music girl. Um, didn't really know anybody there. And I just started playing in coffee shops and bars. And I had a regular gig at a local coffee shop where I could just play as long as I wanted to. And so I did that every week and I would play for hours in the coffee shop. And I started writing a lot more music around that time and just hundreds, hundreds of songs. And um, I think just that process of creating and sharing those creations with people, whether they were listening or not, you know, and just the <laughs> presenting of it in a more formal way was really fun. And I really enjoyed the process of it. And um, I think that really solidified for me that I wanted to try and try to pursue it as a career um, and just see if I focused all of my energy on it and see what happened, you know? Okay. I know that uh, in a couple of your bios, it said you did move around a little bit as a as a, a kid. Do you still hear like the individual influences from everywhere that you lived when you were growing up? Or has it all sort of come together as one like influential source for you? I think it's it really is different pockets of influences. I think, especially from different eras of my life, you know, when I was younger, I was really influenced by the music that my parents played, which was like Radiohead and No Doubt and Queen and uh, Duran Duran. And um, and then I went through like a heavy rock phase when I was 13 because I was playing Guitar Hero a lot. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I got my first drum kit that I like, I begged for a drum kit for, for Christmas and my birthday and my birthday's right right next to Christmas so I get to double up on my my wishes <laughs> um <laughs> and uh you know I would just go and play the drums and listen to ACDC and all of my all of my rock songs that I learned from Guitar Hero and um and that really influenced me as well and I got in, really into Red Hot Chili Peppers for a while and then I went through an indie phase where I was just listening to really beautiful singer-songwriter indie music like Iron and Wine or Yale Naim. Mm -hmm. And um, and I would just listen to that on my way home. I'd walk home from school every day and just listen and immerse myself in, in, a play, in this really big playlist that I had made. And I don't know. And then obviously moving to Montana, there's folk music and country music and bluegrass everywhere you go. So that definitely influenced me a lot. My grandpa plays the banjo and the mandolin and he's in a bluegrass band. So like all of those things sort of influenced me in different ways. And I, I love how they've all seeped into the music that I made. It's a, yeah, it's a pretty broad spectrum of influences, which is awesome because you can pull from any one of those that's a huge palette to have yeah. to be able to express yourself and, and dig deep back in there. Um, so I'll admit, uh, when I heard that you were uh, in Envy of None, uh, your name sounded familiar to me and I wasn't exactly sure why. So I started to search through the stuff that I'd listened to over the last year or so. Uh, and there's this group called Dreadlight out of the Portland area that I, that I had checked out and listened to last year. And Spotify always has the you know, if you like this, check this out section and your name was in there and I put it in queue to check it out later. And it wasn't until Christmas time uh, when I saw your acoustic holiday release. Uh, and the first thing I noticed, even before I listened to it, was you in a picture with what appeared to be a harp guitar. And yeah. I was intrigued because the only person that I have ever heard play that effectively 
uh, was a guitarist named Michael Hedges, who's just one of the most beautiful guitarists I've ever heard. And that instrument is so special and wonderful. And so I listened to it, but it, it was your voice that I connected with, and that made me want to look deeper into your music. So I started to listen to all of the Lucy Gray stuff. So can you talk about the Lucy Gray stuff a little bit? Yeah. I actually, I used that harp guitar in most of the Lucy Gray songs. I had just received that guitar. Um, Timberline uh, harp guitars had sort of given me a really amazing artist deal. Um, and I had never played one before. And I got that parlor side, believe it or not, that's the smaller sized one that I'm holding. <laughs> <laughs> you would never know looking at it, but um, it's the smaller one. And, and, and it's just the most beautiful instrument. And I really wanted to give them some good content with it. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to play this in all of these songs and get to know it and get to learn it through this process of recording these songs. And um, I decided to do these series of covers at slash arrangements. Basically, these songs were all just in lyric form in the prequel to the Hunger Games books that just came out, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And um, mm -hmm. the one of the lead characters in that is named Lucy Gray and she writes all of these songs and performs them and in book form as they are right now it's just lyrics and so as I was reading the book I decided to like put my ideas of how these songs might sound out there and I did kind of a cosplay as the character and I played the harp guitar and in most of the the songs and videos and um, it was a really fun process and her band is kind of more of a folk bluegrass Americana kind of set up. So I sort of tried to emulate that in the arrangements that I made. Um, it was a really fun process and it was really exciting for me to get the chance to play the harp guitar more. I think it sort of got me past that initial phase of being intimidated by it to just doing it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it really is, it's challenging. I mean, you have six extra strings and you can't fret those strings. It's just, they're open. And so you have to figure out how to mute them. Otherwise they'll just ring out forever. Mm. And you can't really see exactly where you're strumming. So you have to really memorize <laughs> which string, like where your thumb is going. <laughs> it's really challenging to do. Um, you know, just, just put on a blindfold and play music. It's right? easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's totally what it felt like. Um, it's such a unique sound though. It really is, and and it's it added this depth to so many of those recordings to have that nice low, rounded bass coming up underneath the guitar. And that guitar, honestly, just the guitar itself is probably one of the best sounding guitars I've ever heard because it resonates through the body of the harp side, and it just has this very I don't know bell like quality to it, and it just rings out, and it's so beautiful and. Um, and those videos were so fun to make and they ended up doing really well and they got more views than than anything I had put out before really. And um, the Hunger Games fandom is just so huge and, and amazing and they were, like, it made me feel like I really was Lucy Gray and <laughs> it was really cool. I got fan art and fan mail and... Um, People were sharing edits of my videos and messaging me, and it was a really amazing experience. I had like, it felt like a like you know ten minutes of fame through that whole process, and it was really rewarding for me too because it was sort of the first project that I produced myself, and so in in that time I learned a lot about my style as a 
music producer as well. And it's still weird for me to say it because I feel like, and maybe that's just like a a youth thing or a woman thing, but I feel like I have to be an expert at something to say that I do this. But I do produce music and I have been producing music and and I am a music producer and I'm saying that to con- convince myself <laughs> as much as anybody else. But um, I did, I produced all of those, those songs that were put out and it was really cool to see so many people listening to them and enjoying them. Yeah, you don't have to convince us. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm super glad I got to hear uh, them all. Uh, unfortunately, I know that you, and I don't, I don't know how much of this you can talk about, but I know that you did recently get a, a DMCA takedown notice for some of those from one of Lionsgate, Lionsgate's lawyers. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's super sad, and I definitely think it's a mistake on their part. And I know what I had read just recently is that maybe they they had reached out to you. Yeah. So. So about a year ago, I received a cease and desist from their legal team. And it's like this law firm that represents Lionsgate and their copyrighted works. So they emailed me and a cease and desist to, at first it was just the arrangements because they're like, well, we have the right to release the first recording of these, you know, they haven't been recorded yet. So you, you, you have to take these down. And, and I tried to get some legal help from from friends of mine and it was it's a really confusing kind of gray Mm, area of copyright so I was trying to do what I could and there was a lot of emails back and forth and then they (laughs) ended up just doubling down on everything and their most recent one was like you have to take everything down including any TikToks and social media posts anything mentioning songbirds and snakes you know even the cover songs and even a public domain song that they only changed one word which I don't think is legal but I don't know. <laughs> it's very confusing. So I was really That's sad about garbage-y. it. Yeah, and so it, it, because they were they said if you don't do this we're going to start filing copyright claims and if you get more than 3 copyright claims on your channel it can get taken down by YouTube. So Yeah. I was sort of like okay, this I did <laughs> I tried and I so I took everything down and then I posted a video explaining what happened. And people were upset. Um and they started messaging Lionsgate and some people were even calling Lionsgate Corporation and, and sending them letters and emailing them and messaging them. And um, I think that is what actually got their attention. And so then I got an Instagram message from the official Lionsgate page that said, hey, you know, we didn't authorize this. We want to know who sent you this email. Um, so I was like, okay, well, great. That would be awesome if it was just, you know the legal team acting on their behalf, but they don't actually want it to happen. Um, but then I, I, you know, I haven't heard anything since, so I don't know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> it's very confusing. Well, I definitely think that it's great that the the fans were able to like rally behind you and, and get in touch with at least somebody and, and say, Hey, these are, these are important to us as, as fans and they're important. You should not just take them away. You should, work towards this is like a support structure for what you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it it was, it was very, made me feel good at least to see, <laughs> see all the people who were rallying behind me and, and cared and, and, you know, cause like, I'm just, I'm just an independent artist and you never know 
what will resonate with people, but this fandom has been so just genuine and like active and, and ready to sort of throw down for me. And that's been super cool to see and, and made me feel so much better because I was so sad about it for a while. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping something good will happen out of it. I mean, if nothing else, I still feel like I gained a lot of really amazing connections with that fandom and, and um, still it was an amazing experience regardless. Um, but yeah, like in my dream world, they'll just hire me to make the arrangements for the film. Like, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so shifting from one fandom to another fandom, how did this Envy of None project come together? Yes. <laughs> so it really is. It it felt very random for me too. So I I entered a song contest in 2016. I can't remember how long ago. It was a while ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Maybe <laughs> it's like five years ago. And uh, I didn't really think much of it. I entered, it was like this, the first time they had put on the song contest and it's called Claim to Fame, and they had a cover song contest and an original song contest, and you could only enter one. So I entered the cover song contest with a cover of Creep by Radiohead, and uh-huh. and I won. And as one of my prizes, I got a mentorship Zoom call with Andy Curran, and I didn't really know much about him at the time. I I tried to research him, but all that came up was sort of, you know, that he worked for this company called Olay. I thought he was just mm-hmm. kind of an A&R guy in Canada. And I was like, okay, you know, I can ask him questions about the industry. And um, we had our Zoom call and I and I asked some questions. And there was one song that I had that was a collaboration with my co-producer called I Got Nothing. And it was way more industrial than anything I had done before. And he's like, I really like this. You should do more of this. And he started talking about some music that he was working on that was kind of similar. And so I was like, hey, well, you know, if you ever need vocals on anything, let me know. And he took me up on the offer. And I didn't really think much about it. I still just thought he was like an A&R guy. I was like, cool, you know, <laughs> we're going to work on some music together. And uh, I had no idea, you know, that he was a Canadian rocker that had been in this band that was pretty popular, that he had won a Juno Award. And... <laughs> And it was just like, I, I just had no idea. So I was like, yeah, I'm I'm making music with the A&R guy in Canada. And um, <laughs> <laughs> we had, we finished two songs and it was a really fun process. You know, he sent me a bunch of instrumentals that he had and sort of a lot of them he had like one or two words or vocal ideas for that were really short. And I used that as sort of a starting point. And then I wrote, the rest of the vocal pieces and arrangement and lyrics based to sort based around that. And then um, like three months into it or three songs into it, I guess he called me out of the blue. I was in my doctor's office parking lot. I still remember cause I drive by it and I'm like, yep, that's where that phone call happened. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he called me and he's like, Hey, so I showed this to my buddy Alex and he loves it and he wants to play guitars on it. And I was like, cool, yeah, your buddy Alex. And then, of course, (laughs) he goes on to explain, you know Alex Lifeson from the band Rush, right? And I was super excited, but also so confused. Like, how how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) I was just super, super naive to the whole thing. And it was like, my mind was blown in that moment. And, um... Alex has been absolutely amazing and 
he added guitars to that song and the next few songs we did. And then we had suddenly a full EP. We had four songs done and then we just kept going. And then once we had about 10 songs done, we decided, hey, maybe we should do something with this. And we signed with a, a record company pretty recently called K-Scope and then sort of set out to actually do an official release of everything. And um, But up until that point, it was really just a slow, casual, no pressure situation. Like we didn't have any specific plans to release it. It was just for the fun of making the music. And it we just sort of went off and on for the last five years, sending files back and forth from Toronto to where I was in Portland and um, we all sort of recorded our own pieces separately and um, it came together in a really cool way. So you're obviously uh, contributing vocals and it sounds like a ton of vocals and layers and stuff. Um, are you playing any other instruments on the record? I played a couple instruments here and there, mostly like synth. Um, like I played a keyboard in Shadow that was put through a distortion pedal and was super cool. And then um, I did a couple little little tiny parts here and there th throughout things. But for the most part, he would send me stuff that was very fully fledged already. Like he already had synths and uh, bass guitars and Alf had some guitars in there already. And then I would add just tons and tons of vocal layers, harmonies, sometimes 40 tracks of vocals with... <laughs> It's just ri ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it, that I kind of ended up using my voice as an instrument in these tracks. I would just fill things out, and I had all these ideas for melodies and textures and harmonies, and you know, and I would write lyrics and and sort of build out the song. And sometimes I'd restructure things like this feels like the chorus. Let's put this here and here, and let's shorten this section and okay, now it's a full song, you know? Because sometimes the things you would send were only a minute and a half long and we'd sort of like, I'd say, okay, here's where I, I'd like to go with this and I and I would edit it and so that he could hear it and then he would build it out. And um, Alex almost always wanted to do guitars after I added my vocals because he liked to build the guitars to work with the vocal layers and the vocal harmonies. And um, Okay. We worked really well together that way. There's a lot of sort of dancing that happens between the guitars and the vocals. And um, I was really inspired by the stuff he was doing too. And and it's a really interesting record because each song kind of had a different process. There was three songs that Alex had already written that were instrumental pieces. And um, I added vocals to to two of those. One, we just kept an instrumental because it was just perfect the way it was. Um, mm. But um, two of those songs that were instrumentals that he had done completely on his own, I added vocals to and added lyrics and I had to, you know, take inspiration from the song title for the lyrics, um, which was Couple Blues and Spy House. And so that was a little bit challenging for me to try to... <laughs> <laughs> Try to so come up did with you write, things. Did you do the uh, the lyrics for all the songs? I did. I did the lyrics for all the songs. Um, like I said, for a lot of the stuff that Andy had written the the instrumentals for, he would sometimes send me a couple of words. Like for Never Said I Love You, he had Never Said I Love You as a vocal idea. And then I wrote everything else based around that. And then mm. same with... Um, like there's a, a couple other ones. Um, Dumb, he had sort of written the 
the chorus for, he had written the chorus for Dumb and I wrote the verses and the pre-choruses, but then most of the other ones I wrote all of the lyrics for and just based it around the name of the song, Dog's Life. He had completely different lyrics for that I didn't really connect with and I sort of rewrote and just kept It's a Dog's Life in there. Um, But uh, I think, you know, each song was a different process. And then for Old Strings, that was the only song that I had actually written I, I wrote that song. Um, I had a demo recorded with other instrumentation in it, and I sent it to them. I was like, hey, what if we put this on the record? And I sort of let them change the instrumentation, take out my my instruments and add whatever they wanted underneath the vocal layers, and it turned out really cool. Um, but yeah, each song was a really different process, but I did, I wrote, I would say, 95% of the lyrics. Wow. Yeah. So... I have to tell you, it's super inspiring, first of all, because as a 45-year fan of Rush, so I'm almost 50, I've been listening to him since I was five. And when I heard that uh, Alex was working on new stuff, I was kind of like, okay. He put out a solo album like 25 years ago, and it was different, and he's done some soundtrack stuff over the years. Um, But when I heard that this was more of a band situation, I was a little more intrigued because I thought he would have some other people to share ideas with. And then when I heard it was with you as vocalist, I was super excited because your voice is so unique. And I was thinking, this can go some amazingly special places because there's a little darkness in his playing. And there's this real touch of dark beauty in your voice that marries so well together. And when he comes in interviews and I read that he's calling you his muse and he's never, he's totally reinvigorated and recharged. I mean, as, as a fan of, of, you know, as someone that's your, has been your musical hero for essentially all your life, uh, to see him uh, renewed like that is just super inspiring. And it's got to be, I mean, it's got to be special for you as well, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really special. I feel there's sort of that feeling of like, wait, who, me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that he's just been such, such a genuine and kind person. And, it's been really fun to work with him. And we do, we, I feel like we really get each other on a musical level. Um, and we just have a really good sense for the song. And I think, you know, it's a little bit of that, that sort of sixth sense. I, I sent him a, the early version of Old Strings was a little bit more rock and a little bit more folk. And he recorded this banjo part for it that is exactly what I envisioned for the song before Andy sort of turned it into more of a synth. Um, and halftime song, and I think that I'm still gonna rec- I'm still gonna release the uh, the more faster tempo rock folk version of it with <laughs> uh, with Alex's guitars or with Alex's banjos because it's so cool, and it and that's part of what I loved about working with him is because he just he doesn't have an ego he doesn't have I don't know he doesn't put himself into a box he just wants to try new things and experiment and do whatever the song is asking for. He just wants to serve the song. And if that means playing a banjo piece, then he'll play a banjo piece. And um, he, you know, he bowed guitars, he did backward stuff. He recorded electric guitars and acoustic guitars and mandalas. And, and he just like, he will create any sound possible with the guitars that he has. And it's really amazing um, to see and, I've yeah. seen him referred to as a mad scientist before, and that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And 
he the way he's able to sort of just morph to fit the song is is really incredible. So do you have a favorite track on the record? That's really tough. I actually Cowboy Blues did turn into one of my favorites. It was a bit challenging at first adding vocals to it because it was just a, a beautiful and cool instrumental piece that he had recorded. And when I was asking him questions when I was adding vocals to it, I was like, hey, is this in a major key or a minor key? And he just said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, that sounds, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, and I was really struggling <laughs> with it for a little bit. And then I finally got it. It finally sort of clicked with me. And how it turned out is just so cool. And he, and he actually, he mixed that song. He mixed and, and did a lot of production on that song. And I love the way that he mixes because it just creates so so much space in the mix and it doesn't feel crunched at all. It's just, it's very, it floats and it's ethereal, ethereal and it just floats around you and you're listening to it. And um, I, I really love how that song turned out. So I think it's one of my favorites, but every day I think I have a different favorite song on the record, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> I think that is a great thing. So are there, are there plans to tour or any more recording? I feel like that's a dumb question considering this album hasn't even come out yet, but <laughs> but I feel, you know, if you're you're inspired. Yeah, I do think there's going to be more recording. We've already sort of talked about it. I'm actually going to send tracks to these guys on I'm working on my my own record currently. Um and I'm very excited about it and Alex has said he'll he'll play some guitars on on my record as well and um so that's sort of my next musical endeavor that I'm working on currently. Um, but I do think there'll be more Envy of None stuff. We've talked about doing more in the future. And I just think as long as it's still fun, we're going to keep making music. I think the least fun part of the process so far has been the not making music part, doing like, <laughs> you know, figuring out images and, and merchandise and doing right, all, all the, the business, business side. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but when we're just making music, it's great and fun. And and I think we'll, we're just going to want to keep doing that. And, um, as far as touring, I think there's a good chance we'll do a couple of shows. There's been a lot of people asking about it. And I think once the record comes out, if people like it enough and there's enough of a demand for it, I think we'll do a few shows. I don't think Alex or Andy, for that matter, would be up for doing a big, grueling touring schedule because they've both done that a lot and it's mm -hmm. probably awful. So <laughs> I think we, <laughs> we'll probably do a few shows, maybe like major cities or some very special one-off events or um, I'm really hoping for a live TV performance. I think that'd be super cool. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be really cool to see these songs in a live format because we've only been working on them on a digital scale and there's so many layers. I have no idea how we would do that yet, but I think it would be cool. That would be great. It'd be great to see. Yeah. So there's a, a question that I kind of have asked just about everybody that we've interviewed on the podcast thus far. Uh, and it is, uh, do you find it easier or harder to create music and make a living doing it since this changeover in the music industry from the old way they used to do things to the new sort of uh, social media driven way of doing things? Uh, that's a, a, an unusual question to ask you, especially Maya, because it's <laughs> your whole career has pretty much been post that changeover. Um, yeah. You grew up, I mean, I, social media is like a, a second language oh. to you, basically. Um, it's, it's, you know, your generation, it's, it's so much ingrained in them that it's, it's part of them. Uh, yeah. so I guess to kind of change that question around uh, for you, do you feel like it's probably 
easier to be a musician today than it would have been, say, 20 years ago? No. I think it's way harder. I think, well, to an extent, I think it's more accessible, right? You know, anybody can record a song and put it up on TikTok and it might blow up, you know, and that's way easier than, you know, trying to be that one in a million that gets a record deal. But I think because it is so saturated and the internet is just chaos. I mean, it's it's algorithms and random luck and trending songs and dances and topics and inside jokes and weird references that there's just too much. <laughs> it's too much. And if you're not really paying attention, if you're not spending a lot of time on it, you're going to be behind on the trends and it's exhausting. And and that's the thing is I feel like, you know, I've spent so much time. I finally built up a little bit of a platform on Instagram and now everybody's moving to TikTok and it's overwhelming. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like I already feel old and and it's just like the people on the internet are younger and younger and, and, um, it's, it's just overwhelming. And I think it's really hard to get a foothold and it's really kind of feels like it's luck of the draw. And to an extent, it's always been a luck of the draw thing, but I think right now there's so, I can't remember this in a single day is astronomical. And the amount of songs that exist in our world right now is astronomical compared to even just two decades ago because everybody and their dog is making music, you know, and and there's so much music out there. Um, So I think it is harder in so many ways and it's harder to be authentic. You know, I think we've lost a lot of authenticity and I think there are people who manage to be vulnerable on the internet, but there's still, it's almost impossible to be authentic on the internet because it's, it's all a facade. It's all, a stage and everybody's yelling at each other, you know, and, and it really, it feels like that. It feels like there's just millions of people in one room all yelling at no one and trying to get your attention. And it's, it's really, um, it's overwhelming, but I think if you're smart and you have a good team to sort of market in today's industry, there's a way to get through the chaos and there's a way to still rise to the top of things, but it almost takes the fun out of it, you know? You're so focused on trying to get on the trends and and get likes and follows and views that you sort of lose connection with the music and the process, and it's hard, and it's hard to sort of remain grounded in your music when those are the things you have to focus on in order to remain relevant and and I hate it, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> That yeah. might be the best description I've ever heard of the internet, though. It's a room with millions of people yelling at nobody. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so Kyle always uh, has that question, which is a, a deep question. Kyle, thanks for that. You always <laughs> have the deep questions. But I usually have uh, not the deepest question at the end that I ask everyone uh, that we interview. So um, we're going to put you on the spot. So tomorrow you're going to be dropped off on a deserted island. And there's a record player, but you can only bring five records with you. That's all you get to listen to f- to forever. So what are you taking with you? Mm. And that's usually the first response. Usually, <laughs> huh. That's a good question. Probably OK Computer. Oh, that's um, a great choice. Back to Black. Um, 
I'm going to throw some Avril Lavigne in there just for the fun of it. Um, you need a you need a fun song while you're on the island. Yeah. Or a fun album. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember which Iron and, Iron and Wine album it is, but the one with Boy with a Coin would be great. Um, and then the record <laughs> that Yael Naim has that has Far Far and New Soul and a couple others on it that are just gorgeous and beautiful. I think that's five, but that is really hard. That's a really hard question. It's, I know. And and the beauty of that question is if I asked you that question 10 minutes from now, it would be probably completely different. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, maybe some Fiona Apple. Fiona Apple would be good on there too. That's a that's a good one too. Man. Awesome. And, and as you'll notice, I can't remember any album titles because I'm okay. in, I'm in the digital age now too. It's just it's all about the singles. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different world. I'm from, a product um, of our time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are uh we're gonna let you go. We are so oh, real quick before but, we yeah, do yeah, that yeah. though. Uh, oh, yeah. uh how can people get in touch with you, Maya, if they wanna they wanna listen to your music? I know the website is uh, mayawin.com. Uh yes. but where else can they go? Yeah, I'm everywhere. I'm you know, I'm Lurking behind every internet corner. If you just search <laughs> Maya Wynn, M-A-I-A-H-W-Y-N-N-E, um, you should find me. It's kind of hard to spell. But um, I also just started a Patreon if you want exclusive content. And I've got demos up from my upcoming record out on there. And um, you can see behind the scenes stuff from this film that I'm working on. If you want to see cute pictures of a snowboarding dog, head over there. <laughs> <laughs> Maya, thank you so much for this interview. It's been fantastic. Yeah, thank you it's, so uh, much for uh, your time. Yeah, you, I look forward to hearing uh, Envy of None when it comes out. And I look forward to, you were just saying you were working on your next album. I'm looking forward to that, too. Yep. Thank you, You got guys. fans here. You thank come you. Come to Vegas. Heck yeah. I would love, actually, guys, the snowboarding dog is from Vegas. You should go what? check him out. Yeah. <laughs> His wonder, name is Walter. Walter. I wonder, is that the bat dog, do you think, at Cashman Field? <laughs> <laughs> There's the, our our minor league baseball team here has a uh, a dog uh, a dog that fetches the bats. He's the bat dog. That's so after cute. each after each player bats, he runs out there and grabs the bat and brings it back to the dugout. And I can't remember his name. I wonder. It could be Walter. He's could be a famous dog, multi talented so. dog. Yeah, right very multi talented. That that dog is more <laughs> successful than I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. This has been great. Uh, thanks again, and uh, enjoy your the rest of your time up in Montana. Yeah, take care. Don't be too cold. Right? Oh, thank you. It's been so cold. Freezing my butt <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a, a great rest of your Sunday. <laughs> thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Bye. 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 Like I said. She is incredible. Yeah, she was great. Uh, that answer she gave to your question about whether it's easier now to make music uh, was really one of the best answers that could have been given. Yeah, it was so thoughtful. And I, I, I like I said, I, I honestly kind of I just wrote down the same question that I normally write down. Mm -hmm. Like, was it easier before or afterwards? And then I started thinking about it. And I was like, oh, she didn't really there do was this no before, before this for her. <laughs> so is it going to be, is this an awkward question? Should I skip it? And I was like, no, I'll just kind of rephrase it a little bit and say, you know, do you think it was? And she had such a smart answer to it. And it was so much 
more in depth than I would have thought it would be just off the cuff like that, yeah. which was great. I think us, or at least me, being a little bit older and remembering how the music industry used to operate, granted that it might not be easier now than before. Yeah. I think I just believed you can make music now and boom, everyone will find it if it's really good. Uh, but that's just not the case. And she made that point so clearly. And I think this was uh, my favorite interview that we've done to date. Wow. I thought it was tremendous. So uh, before we leave you, I'd like to play a clip from an Envy of None song so you can get a bit of a different side of her uh, if you haven't heard the song yet. This is from the song Liar. I think this album is going to be spectacular. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the whole thing. That album releases on April 8th. If you want to pre-order that or find out more information about the band, you can go to envyofnone.com. She mentioned it in the episode, but if you're looking for information about her, you can find her literally everywhere on social media. Yeah. Or you can go to her website, which is mayawin.com. That's M-A-I-A-H-W-Y-N-N-E.com. There are links to all of her socials, plus a ton of information. It's very robust website. Yes. Uh, you can also sign up for her newsletter there and be kept apprised of what's happening in her career. Here's a hint. There's a lot happening. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. Uh, you have uh, more information about, oh, did you have something about her Patreon? Oh, yeah. There? I was just going to say, uh, you should also check out her Patreon. If you if you like her music and you want to support her, it's at patreon.com forward slash Maya Wynn. Or uh, if you do want to get some of her music... You can listen to it. I know it's on Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, I would say go to Bandcamp.com and uh, buy it. Yep. Because uh, I know we always talk about this. If an artist has a Bandcamp, it directly supports the artists. There's some weird stuff going on with Bandcamp right now, and I hope they don't screw it up. Uh, and if they do, in six months, I'll tell everybody not to buy stuff through Bandcamp anymore. <laughs> but for right now, uh, buy through Bandcamp. It does directly support the artists. And if you just search for Maya Wynn on Bandcamp, you'll find her. Uh, as far as we are concerned, you can get a hold of us any number of ways as well. You could get us an email at info at audiojudo.com. You can go to Facebook at facebook.com forward slash audiojudo, Twitter at audiojudo, Instagram at audio underscore judo. We are not yet, uh, uh, we have not yet uh, uh, joined the what Gen Z or whatever on TikTok. TikTok? Uh, oh boy, that's uh, another whole thing. But we do now, we have now started uh, videoing. A except for our, this episode. Except for this episode. Uh, but we are going to start uh, trying some video experiments uh, with our episodes. Yeah. Uh, our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash audio judo, right? Or yes. you can just search for audio judo on. Exactly. Yeah. Or you can go to audiojudo.com and click and on the link. link there. Uh, we have more great episodes coming up about Jethro Tull, the Doobie Brothers, Green Day, Radiohead, the Zombies. We got a lot going on yeah. so keep coming back and we will talk to you again in two weeks until then bye-bye take care everybody
With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 